Well, good morning. Welcome to the Summit. I'm Brian and uh, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you in this Christmas season. We are talking about hope and I'm going to be in Hebrews today. And if you want to follow along, you can go to the summitstl.info and find all the notes from today's message there. Or uh, if you have your Bibles or you want to hop on your phones to take a look. We're going to be in chapter 10, verses 19 through 24. <clears throat> the author of the Hebrews wrote this. Therefore, oh, one thing. I want to, I was try to encourage you some, most of the time, ask you to look for something. I want you to look for the us words in this passage. Look for how many times the author says us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you lost hope have you lost hope? Our culture has some pretty cynical sayings about hope. I uh, was doing a little Googling, and I said, what are some sayings about hope? And they were all cynical. <laughs> Tell me if you've heard some of these. Hope for the best, expect the worst. Hope is the first step on the road to disappointment. Ouch. How about this one? Hope is the opium of the people. And then there's the classic, don't get your hopes up, they'll only let you down. Have you lost hope? <laughs> Last few years, there's a TV show been on called Ted Lasso. Some of you may have seen it. It's a story about an American soccer coach, football coach, that goes to England to be a soccer coach. And there's this interesting interaction one time where the team is not doing well, and he has to give the halftime speech. And he tells everybody, and he quotes this line that is said in England about sports particularly, and it's this, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. It means that having no expectations or hope may be better for us. It, it, it may be better because then our hopes and our dreams wouldn't be destroyed in a cruel manner. It's actually a pretty powerful scene in the show because as he makes this quote, he then says, I disagree. He says, it's the lack of hope that gets you. You see, Ted Lasso acknowledges a very important truth, and that is this. We are hope-based creatures. What we believe about our future determines so much about how we live now. 
And we're going to dig more into that actually in a couple weeks. But the emphasis this morning is that hope isn't an option. We need hope. But, we, but what we want is so important to us that it means we can also lose hope. Could be something that we have lost. And that's why I begin this morning by asking, have you lost hope? We're in the Advent season. We're reflecting on the first coming of Jesus and anticipating, because of the reality of his life, death, and resurrection, his second coming. And usually during Advent, what happens in most churches who practice Advent is they take one week each week to talk about the four words of Advent, love, joy, peace, and hope. And we made a decision last year to try something a little bit different where we wanted to dig into these words, steep. We like that word, if you think about a tea bag in a hot water, that we want to steep in these words and really see if God would do something in us these four weeks to transform us into people of joy and transform us into people of peace and to transform us into people of love and of hope. Now, in a humble confession, I will offer to you that I find that hope is a hard thing to wrap my head around. And frankly, it's a hard thing to preach on. Love, I get it. Hate is the opposite. Let's be kind and caring. Joy, I get it. Distress is the opposite. Let's be positive. Let's be encouraging. Peace, I get it. Anxiety is the opposite. Be calm. Be patient. But hope, hope is a little more tricky. I mean, I think about love, joy, and peace. I've discipled people to be more loving, to be more peaceful, to be more joyful. I would venture to say to you that there has been a rare time that I've ever said to somebody, you need to be more hopeful. But I have had a lot of conversations with people who have lost hope who are at the end of the rope and don't know what to do. And I think we all have times in our lives where our hope quotient is down. Where is your hope quotient today, I wonder? Well, today I want to engage with this question and ask how can we grow in hope, be more hoping, be more hope-filled people, This Advent season, we're steeping in hope. Why? So we can be a people with a more secure, more steadfast, more stable hope. And I believe you're like me. You want to be more hopeful. It's just sometimes hard to think about how I can grow in that hope. Now, what's interesting about hope and you look at it in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, it is often talked about how it is maintained and matured in the context of community. In Ephesians 4, Paul has an epic passage about the church, and he talks about how the community of the church is called to hope. Peter, talking about the church in his famous book, 1 Peter, he also is talking about how the church needs to together express a living hope. And today, the writer to the Hebrew, of the book of Hebrews also suggests that if we want to maintain and mature our hope, he says, let us 
three times specifically. Let us be a community where we're pushing, challenging, encouraging, helping each other grasp what it means to live in the hope of a coming king that will return. And my proposition to us today is simply this. A life of Christian hope is maintained and matured in community. That if you're in a place this morning where you've lost hope, that the great place where that can be grown, matured, maintained, is in the community of God. And here in this passage, the writer to the Hebrews expresses three ways, three simple truths about how in community our hope can grow. And the first is this. Hope is maintained and matured when a community clings, when a community clings. So last week, we defined biblical hope as this. It's a confident expectation and desire for God's plan for good in the future. Because of what Jesus has done, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have a guaranteed promise that he is going to come again, that in the future, he is going to return. Hope, as the world typically defines it, is a desire for some future occurrence which one is not assured of attaining. It's why Christian hope or biblical hope is very different from a worldly hope. That in the world's hope, like in soccer, when we say it's a hope that kills you, it's because they don't really know what's going to happen. In a Christian hope, we see it completely the other way around. That we have an assurance, we know what's going to happen, and so therefore we have a confident hope that's unbreakable. So here in verse 23, the author writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Our hope, what he's talking about here, is a future kingdom that will come on earth as it is in heaven. The author's telling us to cling. That that word there, hold tightly, it means he's saying hold on to the hope that you have. If you think about grabbing that rope that you're climbing and you're going to hold so tightly to it, he's saying that's what you're going to do. There is good coming. And the author here uses the plural, let us. He's reminding, he's saying, This is something that happens in community. Let us be a community that hangs on to, clings on to that rope of hope. Now, how does a community know if they're clinging, holding fast to the Christian confession of hope? Maybe going to suggest something here that might surprise us in what the answer to this question is. I believe that a community that holds fast to the question of hope without wavering is a community that is not repelled or afraid of grief and doubt. Hear that again. How do we, I mean, I think when we think about, what do we think about a community that has a lot of hope? We think they're really positive people. I mean, that's what usually goes on in our brain, right? We're like, oh, well, people who are hopeful, yeah, they see the good side in everything. They're always happy. They're always looking good. And and I think, actually, that shows, I want to be a little careful here because I might be one of those people. It shows that there's maybe not a good of grasp of the hope that we truly have because 
when we're not repelled by grief, when we're not repelled by doubt, that could be a sign that actually we are grasping very strongly. We are clinging to the hope of Jesus. You see, Christianity gives us a power to view the world in a genuine and authentic way. We don't pretend there isn't pain. We don't pretend there isn't sadness. We don't pretend there isn't grief in this, in this life. That's why we cling to hope. I have a tendency to try and always look on the bright side of life. Maybe you've heard that song, always look on the bright side of life. Yes, thank you, whoever that was. Anyway, but I have to tell you, recently, maybe in the last two, three, four years, I've learned that it is actually my hope that allows me to enter into grief and doubts. It's, it's that reality of what is to come that lets me live in the pain of the here and now. And that's the point here. We need a community that clings to hope because of its genuine understanding and view of the world. So not to say that it's wrong to look on the bright side of life, no, but we're, we're looking for people. We want to be a group of people that can enter into people's pain and hurt and struggle in a way that isn't just giving some kind of platitudes and fairy dust to solve the problem, but in a way that is gracious and humble and kind. And in order to be able to be hope for others, we need to be able to enter our own grief and doubts so we can enter theirs. G.K. Chesterton, a very famous author, writer, philosopher in the early 1900s, he wrote this. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, Hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Chesterton is saying, in this life, we're going to be disappointed. Our desires are deeper than we think. And so if we're clinging to the hope of a future, then we aren't going to be turned off by people who are struggling, hurting, depressed, grief-filled, and doubtful. In some ways, the church of Jesus might actually be drawn to those people. If we want to be a community that maintains and matures hope, my invitation to us is maybe twofold in this. First is, if you find yourself somewhat like me, wanting to always look on the bright side of life, maybe there's an opportunity here to reflect on this year and bring your griefs and pains to God and to someone in your community. And for those of you who have done that and grasped that, let me encourage you to keep doing messy well. 
one of the classes that I took in Wheaton a couple years ago, we were just, my professor had done this really interesting study about people who had walked away from the faith. And they were missionaries, pastors, different people who had totally turned away from God. And he found something incredibly interesting about each one of their stories and what he was able to pinpoint that was each one of them had a crisis of doubt and they all felt that it was not safe to process those doubts in the community of God because they were afraid they were going to get platitudes, cliches, and fake-filled answers to meet them where they were. Church, if we want to be a community that maintains and matures hope, we have to cling to our confession of hope that is in Christ, that he died and rose again, and he will return. And where we live now is in a messed up, broken world. And it's our future hope that allows us to live in the reality of how today could possibly be. Can I invite you, if you've lost hope, to take the risk in our community? It won't be perfect. You may hear a platitude and a cliche in here. But I think we are trying and want to learn to do messy well. So let's be a community that continues to pursue that. Well, the second thing we see in this passage is that hope is maintained and matured when a community considers. When a community considers. Listen to what he says next in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I want you to really see that word consider. I put a couple different versions here that uh, people have translated this in the Greek. Go to that next version for me, Dominic. The New Living Translation says, think of ways to encourage. So we're looking at that word consider. Let us consider how to spur, let, stir one another. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And then the third one out of Young's Literal, I like this. He says, and may we consider one another to provoke to good works. So there's lots of great language here in this passage. Let me ask you this question. Do you know how to push people's buttons? That's what we think of here in this passage. What he's talking about is he's saying, I want you to consider, I want you to encourage, I want you to consider what? How to stir somebody up, how to make someone feel something, how to provoke somebody to something. To provoke, we often think of the word provoke in a negative way. When I provoke you, I'm pushing your buttons, I'm going to do something. It's, a, it's to cause irritation, disagreement, to incite a bristly provocation. Well, I really know how to do this with my family. I'm really good at it. The number one thing that I tend to do with our family and push their buttons is not listening and asking the same question at the dinner table twice. Who else does that? Okay, thank you for those seven hands. I appreciate you coming with me. Yes, I, because what I'm saying is when I say, hey, did you have a good day at school? And then five minutes later, I ask it again, did you have a good day at school? What is it saying? I'm not listening. That 
provokes. It provokes, and we'll just leave it at that. Here's what the writer is saying. He's saying, I bet you guys know pretty well how to provoke. I bet you know how to do it. He's saying, I want to totally flip this on you. I want you to consider how you can provoke, stir people, stimulate people, encourage others to outbursts not of frustration, disappointment, confusion, but to love and good deeds. He's saying, I want you to do something. I want you to think, consider, engage, ponder someone so deeply that you would be thinking about, how can I make this person also do love and good deeds? It's quite a challenge because it's, it's a subtle nuance. It's not just being loving to somebody. It's not just doing that. It's saying, thinking about it in such a way to build hope, to stir hope, to help that person become more hope-filled, to live in such a way that it doesn't just causes person to be encouraged, it actually causes them to also then do love and good deeds. One of the most powerful encounters I've had with my daughter, Sydney, I've told you guys this story before, but it applies here. When she was seven or eight years old, she was really, really, really wanted to watch this TV show. And we had watched plenty of TV that day, and I was, I've confessed plenty of times I've struggled as a parent, like when I don't listen at the dinner table, right? So now hear me when I tell this story. I was in a good moment of health, and I was like, I want to just love my daughter. I was considering how to care for her in this moment. And so when she said, Dad, can I watch this show? You know, I, I got down on one knee, and I grabbed her hands, and I said, yeah, Sydney, I love you, but we just can't watch TV anymore today. And she lost it. You know, she just loses it on me. She goes into eight-year-old tantrum mode. And so two more times, you know, she's just wailing and weeping. I want to watch TV. And I'm, I'm just, I'm being, you know, I'm considering her, right? So I'm like, Sydney, I love you. We just can't watch any more TV. It's not the best thing for us to do right now. So finally, she loses it. She goes to her room. She slams the door. It's a seven-year-old tantrum whale. She's just going at it. And then a couple minutes later, all of a sudden, it got really quiet. And I'm just in the kitchen. I'm hanging out. I'll never forget this moment. Sydney comes out to me. And she's real calm. And she comes over and she looks at me and she says, Dad, I know you love me. I'm sorry. Is there something I can do for you? Now, Cindy's got lots of problems and issues, okay? Like, let's just say it off the top here. I just don't want you to think she's the perfect child. She's, you know, I have great kids. Sydney, I know you're listening to this. I love you. You're amazing, okay? So she has her things. But what I, what I, what I love the picture, I mean, this was, a, what was awe, awing to me about this was I felt like it was the very practical explanation of what this passage says. That when you take a moment to consider somebody, to just take a moment and slow down and say, I, I want to spur this, I want to I encourage, I want to provoke this person to love and good deeds. That when we just slow down as a community and take a moment to consider somebody, that actually what will happen is our love for them 
could potentially, through the power of the Spirit, lead them to love and good deeds. One commentator wrote, Hope is the confident anticipation of good. Good in the now and good in the future. And in order to maintain and mature hope, we have to consider how we can spur one another on. Seeing good, having a taste of the future kingdom, believing that God is at work in the world, we all need to see that and be a part of it. And that is going to take time. And that's why he uses the word consider. I'm not a huge fan of the eye doctor. I mean, it's one of those things like I, I buy two pairs of glasses so I can last as long as I need to. But when I go to... I just remember this when I go to America's Contacts and Eyeglasses, give them a little shout out over here in Mid Rivers. There's this doctor there. And and I I think about those moments when I'm sitting there, and, and what he'll do is he just takes the most extreme caution and precision and slowness to tell me what he's about to do. So I'll be sitting in that chair. I'm sure he's seen a million times people's anxiety and nerves. I mean, we don't like people touching our faces, let alone our eyes. And, and so he'll just, he, he'll sit down in front of me and he'll say, I'm, I'm doing do this simple test on your eye today. It won't hurt. You can trust me. I've done this a million times. So I've cleaned my hands and now I'm just going to raise my fingers, and I'm just going to come close to your eye, and I'm here right in front of you now, and so you're going to feel my hand on your face. There you go. Now, I want you to just take a deep breath. It's okay. I'm going to do this with your eye with this piece of metal. Don't worry. I promise it's going to be all right, and then he'll do it, and in that whole time, I'm calm and at peace, and I think with the way of gentleness and safety that he considers my eye is with the gentleness and safety that we are called to consider the soul of somebody else. That the church of God who holds fast to the hope of which they have in the future kingdom that is promised for them are the people that can, with gentleness and safety, consider someone's soul so that they might be spurred on to love and good deeds. So my encouragement to you and to all of us this morning, with care and consideration, would you think of someone that you would like to spur on this week to provoke just one person, and just start by maybe praying for them every morning this week and asking God what you could do to consider to help them maintain and mature their hope. And then maybe that would lead to a letter of encouragement. Maybe it would lead to serving them in some way. Maybe it would lead to a gift, and maybe it would just be prayer. Consider that person, and you can see how when we consider in community, then hope is maintained and matured. Well, the last thing we have in this passage is that hope is maintained and matured 
when a community connects. When a community connects, in verse 25, the author writes, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love Thanksgiving. It is one of my favorite holidays because I love the food. We had an amazing amount of good food this year. One of the amazing things that we had was strawberry pie, which is my second favorite pie in the world. Strawberry banana pie is my favorite, but strawberry pie is very close second. And I am not exaggerating or using hyperbole when I say to you that I ate the entire pie all by myself. Not in one sitting. Don't judge me. It was over a couple days. It was over a couple days. So we come home, and I get home, and immediately I'm thinking, what? I need to work out. I need to, work. I need to figure this out. I, I know what I need to do. I need to work out. But then what do I do? I make all the excuses, right? Uh, I've got a busy week. I'm, I, you know, I'm just going to eat better this week. Then I also had to say, you know what, I'll just wait till January, because that's when we do New Year's resolutions. I can, and then it's like, you know, it's strawberry pie. It's fruit. It can't be that bad for you. I mean, you're going to be fine. Sometimes when we are losing hope, we know what the answer is. We know we need community. We need others. We need the family of God. But we go to our excuses, don't we? It's not safe there. Those people are weird. Those people are hypocritical. If I don't go, they probably won't even know. They don't even want me around, not when I'm like this. But here's what this passage is telling us. It's acknowledging that we're going to be tempted to neglect being together. It's going to be something that tempts us. But the author is saying, fight that temptation. Hope is maintained and matured when a community connects. We need each other to grow in hope. I think many of us have had the experience when we didn't want to know to do something, but then when we did, we were glad we did. I know it's not always, and I'm, again, not trying to pretend that when we're in that place of losing hope, that showing up at church or being in community group is going to make everything better. But when we gather, sometimes it does. You walk away feeling the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of the family of God, and it connects us. To God. So let me encourage this church today. Connect. Commit to being a part of this church family or another church family, whatever that means. But because if we're going to be a people of hope, 
then what that means is we're going to need to cling to that hope. We're going to need to consider each other. And we're going to need to connect. It's where hope is maintained and matured. Have you lost hope? We want to be a community that clings to hope, considers others, and connects. And my friends, the power to be a community like that is to truly be moved by and take in the reality that that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus was the epitome of hope. One of the ways he's described in the New Testament is he was called a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. If Jesus is the one who could truly know and believe in the hope that was to come, that he, he was truly the one who knew every single thing there was to believe about hope, isn't it interesting that he would be defined as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that he, in knowing the hope, was able to enter into the grief of this world. In Hebrews 12, it tells us that Jesus suffered and endured the cross because he considered us. That Jesus, on the cross, in his moment of agony, was considering, he was pondering, he was reflecting on my value, your value, our need to be spurred on to love and good deeds. And he did all of this, why? To connect with us, to be present with us, to bring us hope. My friends, today, let us look to Jesus. Let us pursue community this week. And let us find hope. Let's pray. Awesome God, hope is a strange thing. But yet we confess to you, we know we were designed for it. And for those of us in this room right now who have lost hope, are in that place of losing hope. Uh, Father, would you, even, even just in these next moments at the table when we're leaving, would you let this place be a place of safety? And Father, we pray that you would let us see Jesus and how he is acquainted with grief, how he considered us, and how he longs to connect with us. So that even just right now, supernaturally, right now, you might just pour hope into us. That, that hope quotient that's in us, what, whether it would go from a point one to a point two or a nine to a nine and a half, Father, this morning, would you grow hope in us through this community? We pray that now in Jesus' powerful and holy name.